Hey, PK Village, welcome to the Patientology Podcast, where we give you the knowledge to be in power. Here we have candid, no holds bar conversations about all things related to your health and healthcare. Be ready to laugh, learn, and maybe even cry as we journey to a place where no podcast has ever gone before. Hey guys, I hope you had a healthy and happy week. Today is our very first episode of our PK Voices episode of 2020. Um, if you're not familiar with what PK Voices is, it's actually Patientology Voices where anyone could come on here and share their story because through testimony there is strength, through testimony there is hope. And so today we're actually going to be talking about faith and medical miracles. Mm-hmm. And so I have with me my pastor, Pastor Tom Washington of 3CLA and 4CI, and he's going to share how through faith he overcome really the impossible where doctors kind of counseled him out and how through faith he reversed impossible odds and received total healing for his body. Share your story. Let everybody know what happened. Well, first of all, um, I want to thank you, Renice, for this um, an amazing opportunity to share. Um, yes, I am Pastor Tom Washington, and um, um, I had an experience, and it started in the end of 2018, uh, around, uh, I was supposed to be going to the church picnic, uh, and that was like uh, August, right? And um, I had, can't say that I had a lot of symptoms, leading up to uh, my experience but you know I'm over 50 so what happens is that you know we get you get a little aches and pains and things like that and I said well okay um, you know I was kind of when I would eat I was kind of feeling you know different kind of ways so four years prior to uh, 2018 when I was a meat eater and I was you know I was having digestive issues mm-hmm. back then. So I said, well, let me try a pescatarian diet. And it worked well for me because, you know, uh, I was eating like meat, like, you know, I'd have five guys burgers like maybe two or three times a week, <laughs> you know, and just eating. That's typical for most people. Exactly. Yeah. You know, just, just kind of eating on the go and things like that. So uh, it forced me, um, you know, how uh, just how I was feeling at the time to kind of change my diet, which I did. Uh, so in 2018, I'm still on the pescatarian diet. But then I had a lot of other bad, you know, um, habits like I would do diet Pepsi like three four times a day pretty much those artificial sweeteners are nothing nice Mm -hmm. if you really do your research on them you know and I know that um your audience has in you know yourself so and that but that was what I was doing at the time thinking okay I'm not adding sugar calories you know I'm zero calorie but you know when I was at the restaurant for instance there's like refill I'm like can I get a refill (laughs) you know so I'm going back um so bad habits I'm uh, so you got to be educated about your diet and all those things because you can still let bad habits come into play you know even even if you think that you're doing something healthy you know so um so here comes 2018 i'm on my way to the picnic and and immediately i I was going to the cvs and i just immediately start feeling it was a hot day but i started feeling sweaty and and you know kind of dizzy and i was going to the checkout counter and um and i said you know if i can just get get checked out get into my car you know i'm good i just need to sit down uh, I didn't make it. As soon as, you know, I swiped my card, the next thing I knew, it was like I was waking up on the ground. And a lady uh, came. She was, uh, you know, there. I don't know where she came from. Uh, she said, my name is Nicole. I am not a nurse, but I will stay with you until, you know, help comes, which I just thought was pretty amazing because, you know, people don't help people. Meanwhile, I'm laying on the ground. I'm hearing people checking out at the counter. You know, (laughs) you know, they just kept going. And she went to the to the um, person at the register and she said, is what is the protocol for when, you know, people pass out or, you know, having a medical emergency? And the person didn't know. 
and they're working at the store. So this woman gets on her own cell phone and calls paramedics to come get me. Uh, so uh, we ended up calling my wife, having her come. And so uh, I'm getting into the paramedic, into the ambulance. They're taking me to the hospital. Um, this is another thing. My wife was asking, can we go to a particular hospital? The paramedic said, no, we got to take them to this hospital. And the hospital that I wanted to go to, of course, was a hospital that we've had experience with. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really got to kind of press. We didn't press and advocate to go to our hospital first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they insisted that they take me to this other hospital. But, you know, an emergency situation, we didn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, so we went ahead. Yeah, because typically a paramedic, they take you within like certain miles or vicinity yeah. and pretty much whoever has an open bed or whatever at the time. Not mm-hmm. that another hospital won't take you. Right. But that's their their protocol. That's their protocol. Yeah. And, of course, I had never been in an ambulance before. Yeah. So I didn't understand the protocol, but I went along with it. So um, they took me to this hospital and they were like, okay, well, it seems like you may be dehydrated, you know, and they were trying to run some surface tests. Uh, But what they did was they put uh, some drips on me and sent me home, you know, with the matter in a couple of hours. So um, when I went home, I wasn't feeling right still, but you know, you go to the hospital and they, tell you that everything's okay so you kind of go with that so it was around two o'clock in the morning and um I just could not get a comfortable position you know I was I was kind of aching in my stomach and um so I said well let me just lay down you know down so I went downstairs and just lay down on the floor because the floor was the only thing that was comfortable um so my wife ended up coming down looking for me And she had laid her hands on my stomach and she said I was on fire. You know, I was, it was just, just heat. She had never felt anybody with that kind of temperature before. And so um, she got my temperature, uh, took it at the house, 110 degrees. Yeah. I, you know, I can't even fathom. That's That's insane. Yeah. Because we were like 110. I mean, are you sure? So we checked it two more times. It was 110. And so she immediately called the hospital that we had come from and said, hey, you know, he's 110 degrees. So she said, hey, let's go. Um, The person on the other end, I believe the nurse said, hey, just bring him back in again. So they brought me back into the same hospital. They could not get my temperature down. They, you know, they were trying. And so they they started doing like um, uh, Tylenol drips on me. But that just solves the temperature problem temperature problem the symptoms not finding out what the problem is what is driving this temperature um and so they did some tests found out that i had a growth in my colon and it was making me um anemic so part of that was they were saying well you have to have blood transfusions so they gave me a couple blood transfusions in this situation you feel like they're the professionals. You believe that they know. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, we'll get the blood transfusions. And because they admitted me, um, still my temperature would not go down. They could not get my temperature regulated. So dealing with that, they said, well, the growth in you, we're going to see what kind of, if it's malignant or, or benign or whatever that is, uh, we're going to run some more tests. So they were doing the test. In the meantime, they scheduled operation. But even though they scheduled an operation to go in and take out whatever they thought that they saw, my temperature was still going up and down. Um, The first room that they put me in was a very nice room. Uh, I was pretty much by myself. Uh, The temperature was regulated. It was, you know, um, it should be a cool situation, Mm -hmm. meaning in temperature wise. But then later on that night, they transferred me to an area where I believe this and this is what they said. They didn't have enough staff on hand to maintain that floor. 
So they put everybody that was on that floor into this other area. I had never heard that before. Um, so they were compacting everybody into these rooms downstairs. And in that situation, they, they could not control the temperature in that room. The thermostats were down. <laughs> so here it is. You're trying to regulate my temperature and you can't even regulate mm-hmm. your temperature. So it was hot in the room. And I was sharing the room with somebody else, which it wasn't a problem. But you kind of start realizing in the hospital situation, okay, is this the way things are supposed to be or not? So as uh, the days, uh, you know, I was in there for like nine days before this surgery was supposed to happen because they were still trying to uh, find out some things about my condition. I noticed that the person next to, uh, that was in the bed next to me, they couldn't speak. So a lot of times he was calling and pressing the button um, and he wasn't getting a response. I was pressing the button. I wasn't getting a response, you know. So people were that were visiting me had to go out in the hallway and find help for whatever it was, you know. And um, that's not the way things are supposed to be. No. You know, but the, oftentimes that's how it was done. That's how it was done. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't have anybody visiting him. So I found myself not only being an advocate for myself, trying to get, you know, and the people that would come visit me, but I was telling them to go get help for him. Mm-hmm. So it was a very you got to make sure that wherever you are, that they're taking care of the things they needed to take care of, just basic things like, you know, if if I'm hot, I need ice. And so I'm trying to get going through everything, just trying to get ice or just trying to get, you know, some comfort in regards to pain or whatever. So this is going on. So they tell me, hey, um, we're going to go in. We believe that it's cancer, but we want to do this surgery. Meanwhile, um, they haven't got my temperature regulated. So here comes the day of the, the surgery and they say, oh, we're, gonna, we're not going to worry about that. You believe that they're for the professionals. Yeah. So uh, we were like, OK. So the day of surgery, my wife calls me in the morning and she says, hey, has the doctor come to see you? Uh, I said, no. Has the anesthesiologist come down? I said, no. Has... Um, you know, the oncologist, nobody had come. And if you're supposed to do something in the colon, then, you know, I'm supposed to be cleansed. You're supposed to be checking Mm -hmm. on that, you know, and nobody had checked to see like, Hey, you know, ask me questions about, because they put you on this to clean out your system. Um, But nobody had asked like, Hey, you know, how is it clear? You know, da, 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 all those things that you're kind of expecting. So as I lay there, um, you know, I'm a believer, you know. (laughs) So um, I just heard the voice of God say, just matter of factly, get out of this hospital. And I'm, I have family coming for the surgery. I have, you know, I'm I'm hooked up to these different IVs. And one of the things that was happening was that they kept on putting, um, you're supposed to put a certain kind of IV, but they were putting potassium drips and the potassium drips were burning out my veins. So um, it, it wasn't saline, it was, you know, potassium. And so they couldn't find during this span of nine days, they couldn't find good areas to get veins because they were getting burnt out as they were. And I, I, I know maybe that's not the correct no, I, I term, <laughs> but what was happening is that it got to the point where they couldn't use my arms anymore. They were using my hands and then they were sticking them into my feet, you know, between my fingers and things. Um, but I believe that that was, you know, the way things were supposed to to go, you know, because of my condition. So I, so uh, my family was like, they didn't ask any questions. They were like, let's get you out of here. Um, how we get you out? So they called my wife who was on her way. Anyway, she was dropping my daughter off. She said, find out how to get him out. So uh, my, my family went to the front desk and they said, Hey, 
we need to get him out of here. They said, well, you're going to have to talk to the um, doctors and then you're going to have to talk to the um, insurance company. And so there was a lady there who is a patient uh, advocate. Yeah, but I think they say a social social worker. worker. Yeah. And so she was overhearing the conversation. And so as my sister had just said, what if we just took him? And so the the social worker said that I can tell you that you can't do that. So basically, if you leave a hospital, you leave AMA, which is against medical advice. Mm -hmm. You have a right to do that if you don't believe that the care that you're getting is sufficient. Uh, But they'll try to keep you there for certain reasons. But legally, they can't do anything without your consent. Exactly. But they do try to, depending on the hospital, they will bully you. Yes. At times. Or kind of take advantage of your ignorance. Yeah. And, you know, like, oh, you got to talk to all these people. Right. No. Maybe I do have to talk to my insurance, but the doctors and everybody else, I don't have to deal with them. Right. I have a choice to go where I need to go and tell the insurance, y'all need to just take care of this bill over here. Right. Because X, Y, Z happened. Exactly. And that is why uh, you use the exact word bully, because that's what they were trying to do. They mm-hmm. were like, like, well, you're not, you're supposed to have surgery and you're supposed to, this is supposed to happen and you, you're supposed to stay here. Um, but we were like, No. But that was something within us. We were determined ourselves, mm-hmm. not really knowing that we had a right to say, I want to get out of here. So I, I believe it's important for people to know that if they don't believe that they're getting the proper care, you ask questions. You, you know, find out. And that was a problem. We were having issues even trying to find answers to simple questions. We didn't have access to the doctors. You know, uh, we wanted to ask questions. They say, okay, we sent a message to the doctor, but we never could get in touch at this particular Mm -hmm. hospital. So um, we were finding out how this thing was working and we were like, no. So we ended up uh, leaving that hospital. But one of the strange things that happened as we were having the conversation, as the nurses were, you know, pulling the IVs out of me, you know, as I decided that I was leaving, um, they were like two nurses that were in that hospital said, we have 14 patients apiece and we're glad that, you know, you're going somewhere where you can get the proper care. These are the nurses. So the nurses were in a situation where they were overwhelmed and they didn't, I mean, of course they're not going to go on record (laughs) with names and stuff, but it just let me know there are um, some things going on in like hospital management um, whether it be scheduling, whether it be staffing, whatever, that we're in some cases not aware of. But they're kind of stretched to the max, you know, or in, in a lot of different situations, you know, because they said that, hey, we've got like 14 patients apiece. We can't care for them all. And um, for you to say that now that I'm leaving, but if I was here, of course, you're not going to say that. But of course, I'm going to experience the fact that you can't take care of exactly. me. Exactly. You know, so uh, when I went to the uh, second hospital, and this is this is divine intervention working along in, in my case, but looking at a person that maybe is just, just you know, not necessarily a person of faith or, 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 or like that, you have to advocate for yourself because no one else is going to do it for you or, or or a family member that you can trust. But somebody really has to go be there with you when you're in these hospital situations. Someone needs to listen with you. Someone needs to be there in the room or or you need to be able to ask questions, you know, to find out because they wanted to have surgery on me, regardless of the fact that they could not find out exactly why my temperature was still you know, elevated, elevated. So um, we call my primary care doctor uh, and say, hey, we're going to this other hospital. Can you help us? We don't know anybody there. We had to leave a message for him. Um, It's always good to ask 
whoever your primary care doctor is for a referral to say, hey, who do you recommend? You know, and uh, so he, by the time we drove to the next hospital that we wanted to go to we, when we got came out the ambulance, he called and he never calls. But the fact, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but, you know, it's like his aide will call or his assistants or whatever. He called and said, hey, tell them that this is your doctor. And they gave us the name of a doctor. And um, they, he said, when you go to emergency, just go through emergency and, and all that. So here we are coming from one hospital to the next. And we don't tell them, hey, we came from another hospital. We just say, listen, you know, we um, this is my condition. They ran tests, found out that the first thing that they said was, did you know that you had pneumonia? Now, this is the first that I heard. I've been in the hospital for nine days. And this second hospital says, you had pneumonia and you've had it for quite some time. Never heard those words come out of the mouth of anybody at that other hospital. But they immediately saw, you know, what my condition was. And they re- immediately responded. So if I had stayed at that other hospital, not and them not really being aware that I had pneumonia, who knows what would happen, you know? And at the moment that they were actually going to open me up, um, for me to say, hey, you know, this doesn't, this isn't right. I got to go. But even if you're not a person of faith and something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't look right. Something doesn't sound right. You need to get mm-hmm. questions. You need to you, you need to get answers to your questions. And if you cannot get answers to your questions, no, I'm not signing that document. No, I am not having surgery. No, you will not get my consent. Um, we have to be like that because now going to the second hospital, it was a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. So they were informed. They were informing me. They gave me uh, a infectious disease doctor who traced exactly the, the pathways or whatever it was for that, why my temperature was being elevated. Mm-hmm. And they were actually trying to find out what was going on and not just treating symptoms. They were trying to go to the root of the problem. And so he prescribed the drip and boom. Temp- no temperature problems at all. But then I was still faced with the tumor that was in me. So they ran tests. They said, Mr. Washington, you have a grapefruit sized tumor in your abdomen. And it is cancerous. And um, it's colon cancer. I have not had any colon cancer that I know of in my family's history. So usually in Usually, you know, people would have be a have maybe a predisposition mm-hmm. genetically to certain cancers. With this particular cancer, it's just happening in people. It's and they don't know why. I've talked to oncologists, I've talked to doctors, surgeons, and they do not know why. Um, people that don't have a family history of colon cancer are developing colon cancer, and not only that, I'm fifty years old. I was supposed to get a colon colonoscopy colonoscopy. And I'm telling you, I'm telling your people, uh, your men, especially that are listening to this program. If you are approaching 50, you must have your colonoscopy. And unfortunately, people of color, uh, minority groups need to find out earlier around 45 because statistics show that the minorities are predisposed Mm -hmm. to it earlier than um, in the Caucasian population. And so that tells us that we really need to be watching our health all the way down the line. But usually for whatever the reasons are, be it uh, knowledge, be it um, uh, financial ability, uh, lack of maybe uh, knowing or lack of uh, financial ability, we don't do all the tests. We don't go to all the appointments. We don't go to, you know, do all of the checkups that we need on a yearly basis, you know. 
I think a lot of people don't even know that they can with their insurance. That that's underneath, like, the yeah. basic care and preventative medicine. Preventative. Yeah. And then also with a lot of minority communities, like, let's just be honest, they work a lot of us to the bone. Yes. And so people are focusing on, my, I can't take off, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't exactly. lose my hours, I have to take care of my kids. And so we don't take care of ourselves. We don't take care of ourselves. And we forget about, you know, getting that mammogram, getting the colonoscopy, getting an endoscope, and, you know, all these other little tests that could help us, you know, along the lines to either catch something early or prevent it altogether or prevent it altogether and and a little pop culture with this um you know it's it's not funny haha but kind of funny peculiar uh there's there's a guy on the new uh, on the housewives of atlanta nene leaks husband greg leaks (laughs) the strange thing is that greg leaks was going through his situation of colon cancer at the same time i was and so what caught me i don't i'm not a watcher of the show but I had um, in in scanning <laughs> as you're, you know, kind of laying around. Exactly. Uh, he was talking about his colon cancer experience and he was going through it at the same time as myself. He did not want he did not like the idea of of the doctor going inside of his, you know, Insides. <laughs> insides his anus to try to you know do the colonoscopy he was turned off by that but listen men i'm telling you there is nothing not manly about getting a colonoscopy it's a necessary thing and but he shared that that was his issue with it i didn't have an issue with it but what happened was that i was supposed to get a colonoscopy i always would get my checkups my yearly checkups and physicals in january of the particular year so i got it in january of 2017 everything was good i was supposed to get it in january of 2018 uh, but because my doctor was out of town and I was like, oh, I don't want that doctor. Let me just wait until he gets in town. And then I got busy. So I didn't get it. But if I had gotten the colonoscopy in 2018, January, then in August of 2018, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have just been finding it out there because it starts in polyp form. But Somewhere between 2017, that's what I'm saying. These things are aggressive. Somewhere between 2017 and the end uh, of 2018, something developed from a polyp to a grapefruit. Mm-hmm. And so you got to be aware of what's happening in your body, what aches and pains or whatever. Do you remember the exact um, like type of cancer that they diagnosed you with? Yes. The medical term? Uh well, colon cancer, but the um, exact type. Yeah, the exact type of colon cancer. Um, I don't know what that terminology is. No, I don't know. Okay. Because there are different. Yeah. Types, and I don't know the exact term, but it's interesting because uh, my oncologist was talking. But at the time, um, when I was going through this, um, the the terminologies and all of those things didn't hit me. As much as the C word. Yes. Yeah. The the, big C word. The big cancer word. And which I refused to say because when they told me, it was as if they were talking to somebody else. And I was like, this doesn't belong to me. I'm not going to take ownership of this because, and I I mean that in this way. When the doctors give you a diagnosis, they... uh, you have to say if you're going to fight this or not. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you get a diagnosis, some people just throw up their hands and just give in to it. I needed to fight this. You know, I needed to resist this, however way. And it was interesting because uh, as I was talking to the different oncologists that um, were, were were assisting the doctor, my surgeon, um, he was telling me, yes, you know, it's a very, uh, it's it's a very large uh, tumor, and we we don't know what we can do about it. And I said, well, I'm going to fight this. And I remember him specifically saying, well, 
that's great because 90% of your uh, success is going to be about from your mental state. Now, if I'm believing that I know that God can do anything. I'm that believer, right? But for somebody that receives that diagnosis that may be necessarily be a believer or religious, your state of mind has everything to do with your healing. If you fix your mind to say, hey, I'm going to fight this, and you are determined, your body responds. And I find this out because all the doctors I've talked to, they say that stress is a a major factor in a lot of illnesses. Because what happens if you're under stress and you're depressed and all these things, this is your, it has an effect on your body and the anxiety and all those things. So if stress has an effect on your body, what if you deciding that you're going to fight, you're going to take care of yourself, you're going to resist this, you're going to eat Mm -hmm. the right foods, that has to have an effect as well. So your state of mind has everything to do with your state of body. I'm a firm believer on that. You know, because if you give up, then your body gives up. There's one prime example of that. Um, everybody knew the book, The Secret. Yes. Um, back in the day, mm-hmm. Oprah made it so famous. And there's a documentary that goes along with it. It's kind of old, but it is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And there's one particular woman. Um, she got diagnosed with breast cancer. They gave her a couple months to live. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm not going to accept that. And she wasn't right. necessarily a believer in God, but she had faith that her body would heal itself. Yes. So she literally pretty much became a shut-in to cut out all the negativity in her life mm-hmm. so that, you know, people are knocking on her doors like, oh, my God, you know, what are you going to do? And, and putting all those thoughts in her head. Yeah. So she said she kind of just secluded herself for a few months. Mm-hmm. And when she went back to the doctor, her cancer was gone. Yep. I believe that. I am a firm believer on that because, listen, whatever you, you know, the mind is an amazing, um, an amazing (laughs) organism. And that's why knowing this, for those that don't believe in God, this mind came from a big bang. This intelligence that we have, this ability uh, for our bodies to heal themselves and all those things, it's, it has to be divine. It has to be intelligent engineering. And so that's why I know that, uh, you know, um, spiritually, physically, mentally, all these things are working together. And so when I finally um, got that diagnosis of what it was, they wanted to go in for surgery. So. In that surgical situation, they gave me three outcomes. The first outcome would be that they would be able to take the cancerous tumor out. They'd be able to give me a colonectomy, put the two pieces together, and I'd be fine. The second was that if they saw some in things, other things that were involved they were going to have to deal with that situation. The third is that they would have to put a colostomy back on me and leave the tumor in because if it was not, if they weren't able to take it out. So knowing this, um, that's what I went in to the surgery, uh, um, knowing that there could be three outcomes. When he opened me up, not only did he see that the tumor was the size of a grapefruit but everywhere it had metastasized and it was attached to my spleen it had a portion of my pancreas involved with it not only that but all of the polyps were all over my torso cavity meaning that there was cancer everywhere and the polyps were on my liver They were um, on my diaphragm. They were everywhere. I mean, just just spotted throughout. So the only thing that he could do was close me up. I mean, well, before he closed me up, put a colostomy bag on me, close me up and hope that it would shrink by maybe some treatment, shrink enough that they could get it. So basically, that's the doctor saying, 
There's nothing they can do. And then he told my wife, not only can we, we can't do anything at this time, but he's stage four. Stage four is like, it's everywhere. There's nothing we can do. He literally said, there's nothing more we can do. So when somebody hears that, what are you going to do as the patient? Is that the last word? Or me as a believer, I'm like, no, God has the last word. If the physicians cannot do anything, I know a God that I serve that can do something. And it even fueled me more. And so it wasn't a pity party. You know, what it was was, okay, we have no choice but to depend on God. And in the situation with the lady that you were speaking of, she chose to fight. And this is the same situation that I'm in. I'm, yes, with God on my side, I'm choosing to fight. Doctors, I'm going to prove you wrong. There is something that can be done. Now, what is the decision? Well, since I had gone through all of the, the therapies prior to surgery and, you know, the drips and everything, when they told me, and this is a very personal choice, when they told me, we recommend chemotherapy or immunotherapy or you know, different therapies. We recommend that. After I've already received medics, medicine and medical treatment, uh, why not? You know, be, I've already been getting, getting, you know, the therapies to this point. Why not? Um, so I chose to do that at the same time, believing God and, and believers, if you're out there, um, you have to, make informed decisions so yes we'll get a report yes uh it's okay to take your medication if you prescribe something but the things that we can do is in addition to that get our knowledge on what the therapies are Mm -hmm. so if the doctor tells me he wants to use Avastin for instance I'm going to do my research on Avastin before he puts it in me but I'm not going to resist it because I'm in a situation now where I, I need to do something medically and it's okay. I can't receive all this medical treatment and, and um, blood transfusion and all this and then say, Oh, I'm not going to do nothing. Well, I mean, I've already been doing something, so it's okay to take the medication, but be informed of what you're taking, be informed of what the side effects and things may be. So I did that. So, but they wanted to do 12 sessions of it. Meanwhile, what is a person like me going to do? Um, there, there, there are some specific things that I need to do for my body. Because, listen, we, uh, we as believers, we believe there is a temple. Our body is a temple. If you don't happen to be a believer, you have to know that you only got one body. Mm-hmm. So what are we eating? What are we drinking? What kind of ways are we actually taking care of ourselves that um, have an effect on our longevity, on our medical condition. So I told you I was down in Pepsi's and stuff. Would it have been right for me to now after being given this diagnosis and sent home for something to happen for me to keep on turning up Pepsi's? Of course. (laughs) I can do it. I had to start drinking water. I had to uh, start, um, being aware of hydrating my body, getting that stuff out of there that didn't need to be there. I had to look at what I was eating. Am I eating like a bunch of chemicals or am I eating like maybe organic things? Am I doing like um, juicing? I mean, I had to, I had to look at everything that I was putting in myself because that was going to have an effect I know that that spiritually I had a belief that I was going to be healed, but physically, you know, what was I doing to my body? What was I going to do? So well, I had to cut. Both. It takes and both. A lot of people don't understand that or don't want to put in the work to do both, to have exactly. faith and to actually like do the work. Do the work. Some people think that the work could just carry you through like, okay, whatever the outcome is, it, it happened, but you need that faith component too. Mm-hmm. And then some people just be, Thinking they operating on Faith Street. 
Yeah. Sitting up here like, uh, you know, eating five hamburgers a day, but believe exactly. in God that they don't le- lose 100 pounds. Exactly. It just don't work that way. It does not work that way. Bible already tells us faith. Well, first of all, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. It doesn't profit anything. I need to act in faith, but I need to do the things that are right according to my body. You know, if I need to, I need to be, realize that I only got one temple and I got to take care of it. And the fact that, you know, I think a lot of times what we do is <laughs> we we operate in quote unquote faith, but it's really quote unquote foolishness. You know, you can't be do foolish things and say that you're operating in faith. Mm-hmm. I need to respond. And the way I respond was I start choosing. I start really uh, looking at what I was putting into me. I looked at even um, I'm not necessarily endorsing this product, but it worked for me. Shakeology, which my sister had given me. It's a vegan um, drink that has all of the nutrients and antioxidants and things in there. And I was on chemo every other week. The week that I was not on chemo, I would do a few Shakeology things just to make sure that the good cells were fighting um, the bad ones. And I saw this commercial. And I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm taking a... I'm no. taking a <laughs> um but I saw this commercial and I actually it was a commercial and it said it showed like these other cells like burning up and devouring these other cells. And the the voiceover was saying that these are the good cancer cells destroying the bat. You know, these are the good cells destroying the cancer cells. And I had a visual in my head that what was happening in my body was that my good cells were fighting. This is on a, on a cellular, molecular level. They were fighting these cells. So if I say I'm going to fight mentally, I have to believe that my mind is sending <laughs> those cells to beat up on those cancerous cells. You know, and, 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 and that's the visual I got. And so when, when we're saying body, mind, and spirit... I have the spiritual power to know that, you know, my body is fighting, you know, and I'm I'm getting my mental state involved in it and saying mental, you need to fight. You need to have the mind of a fighter here. And I did that. And as, and so as I was doing chemo, communal chemo, so this, they call it faux fox. And what happens is that you get in there and you, you do the, the various drips for about five or six hours. Then you take a take a um, pump home with you that operates another 24 hours. And then that next day after on the third day, you, you go and they take it off. So my body would be somewhat depleted from the experience. And that's when I started, you know, eating. And I had a colostomy bag, though. So here I am managing my colostomy bag, managing what I'm eating, because my wife thought that when I found out that I was going to get a colostomy bag, I was just going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe. But she said she was shocked because my mindset was, "Okay, I got a big gaping hole on my (laughs) on my torso. Let's work. We just going to do what we need to do. You know, you got to keep it clean. You could be surprised. Maybe, maybe you 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 know medical stuff, but it, I had to keep that thing clean. I had to tend to it. I had to change those bags. I'd never had that experience before, but I was like, "This is my body, and this is like a lifeline right now because I can still eat and nourish myself, and still while while God is working on this tumor on the other side." That was my mindset, and so I would go to this communal. Um, uh, the therapies with chemotherapy and I would just be talking to people and I'd be like, you know, engaging and I'm, I'm eating, I'm snacking. Um, you know, I've got this energy and I'm coming into a situation where everybody that I was doing communal chemo with was just kind of like laid back with their, you know, eyes rolled back and just real quiet. And that wasn't me. And so the doctor's like, dude, you're kind of like disrupting my situation here. What are, <laughs> what are you doing? He's like, you're not a reg- you're not the typical patient. 
I need to, I need to see what's going on inside of you. And I'm telling you, Renice, there was, I just believe I could, I could feel myself getting stronger. I, I could feel the results of my belief and not on, and followed by my intentional acts of doing the right thing, according to my body, eating the right things, um, walking, you know, I, I was not going to lie down with stage four because stage four, basically they signing you off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did my research on, on, you know, what was the best things for me to kind of eat and, um, you know, ginger root. And, you know, I was just all of these different things that were supposed to be, you know, some natural. So I did the natural things along with the, um, what is the correct term for it? Um, I did some natural therapies along with the like the medicine, the medicine, the, the allopathic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he did a scan on me, a PET scan. And this is like, I'm supposed to do 12 sessions of chemo. This is around the fourth session. He was like, you dude, like your, your body is responding in just ways that we have no idea that it would. He did a PET scan where they take the, the, nuclear uh, uh, solution solution that it's a radioactive and you can't be around people for another eight or 10 hours or whatever. Um, And it's supposed to make everything light up. You know, the, all the cancer cells Mm -hmm. light up, took it. Now you're talking about a dude who everywhere cancer was everywhere, all over my torso. When he did this PET scan, uh, eight weeks after my surgery, um, nothing lit up, and he couldn't believe it. So we go to the to the you know consultation. He was like, he paused, and he's like, I just don't, I don't know how to say. It. There's nothing there, and that's what I saw. I saw nothing being in my body. I saw the cells being destroyed. And what I saw and what I was determined that was happening inside of me actually happened. I wasn't surprised because that was my expected. I expected that outcome. The doctors didn't. So he sent that information to my surgeon and my surgeon says, this has got to be the the best of the best case scenarios that I've ever seen. He was like, I got to go in though, because doctors, of course, they're thinking they, they got to they see. Mm-hmm. So he scheduled surgery. Um, and when he opened me up, long story short, the tumor that was a grapefruit size within the colon walls, Mm -hmm. it completely had disappeared. It was just a flat, it was a shell, you know, you could see that it had expanded, but then when it flattened, it was just kind of like a, a, a balloon that had been deflated. Not only that, but everywhere there were polyps inside of me, they were gone. They were gone off my liver. They were gone uh, on my spleen, my pancreas, the diaphragm. Everything was just as clear as this is the same surgeon, the same team. They uh, couldn't believe it. And so he was determined to do pathology on all those pieces. And... He took the spleen, um, the a piece of the pancreas, and where it had been involved in the intestine, and he did pathology on it, and there was no cancer in any of it. And it was a miracle as far as I was concerned. But medically, they were just like, we have never seen anything like this. But it all goes to say that not only am I engaged in a spiritual expectation, but my spiritual expectation, I had to do the correct things in the natural. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just say, hey, I'm going to survive cancer, but drink all the sodas, you know, eat all the, the, the high, fructose or or eat all of the um fats and 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 all of the things that really are not helped for me i had to be able to 
be responsible, you know, for the outcome and do the right things. And a lot of people, um, I asked a lot of questions. I did a research, but also I asked a lot of questions for my surgeons, uh, the oncologist, and I still went along with, I, I was okay with the therapies because, but there's no way and all of those therapies, the four therapies or five therapies that I ended up finally doing could compare to what they expected mm-hmm. in the end. So that is what happened in my situation. But I always have been, still have been advocate for even people that are in those situations. What, you know, the perfect outcome for me would have been, hey, I never would have had surgery. That tumor never would have gone, uh, you know, been inside of me. But there was a journey that I took. Mm-hmm. I went through the communal chemo. I met some amazing nurses and doctors and patients that I'm still in touch with today. Um, I was able to pray for people. Uh, I was able to, to, to speak to people and, and kind of, you know, encourage them. And these are people that I just met within that communal situation. Um, so I believe that even when we are going through things ourselves, we are positioned to help other people and, and show other people. It had been like I had had this experience before because I, it was, it was so natural for me to share with other people and say, Hey, you know, I'm going through this. I'm a different person today (laughs) from the experience, but I'm thankful for an opportunity like this to talk to you and, and, prayerfully this reaches the ears of other people who may be going through same or similar things to know that you can fight this you can be and I will never forget what my sister-in-law told me in my decision-making process because she's also a cancer survivor she said you are the captain of this ship now meaning that this is my body Mm -hmm. you know I have to make the decisions yeah, I choose to believe God and he's going to lead and guide me, but I have to be able to say, hey, you know, I, I'm feeling led to to um, make this lifestyle change in the way I'm eating or the things that I'm drinking and eating more natural things and looking on the labels and, and all of these things. So I am an advocate for you've got to be educated about what's happening that you're putting in your body and you got to be educated about what the doctors want to do. And you have to um, be an advocate for yourself. You are the captain of your ship. And also be aware of the people that you're surrounded by. Oh, you yeah. were blessed to definitely have a family, and I do know his family. They, if they were going to take him out of the hospital, they were going to take him and out And I the know hospital. your family, too. Exactly. <laughs> my family would do the same. You would do the same but thing. But there's a lot of people out there who, like like my husband's family, for instance, they um, really aren't experienced with a lot of medical things and stuff. A lot of things haven't happened to their family. Mm-hmm. Like my family where I grew up with people with diabetes and yeah. cancer. And, and so we know how to react and how things should be done. And, right. You know, how to treat different things. So really surrounding yourself by a village of people yeah. who are <clears throat> encouraging you to do what's right for yourself, not trying right. to push you into any decision-making, right. not trying to discourage you, but being on board. Being so on if, board. If, if they say, you know, what do you want to do? And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go the holistic route. And they're there to support you. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that you should surround yourself by, not the people who are going to be like, well, you know, you can go the holistic route, but the doctor is saying X, Y, Z. And right. this could happen to you and, and always putting those negative things in your ear. Yeah. You're so right about that. And it's a personal choice. That's why I, I said in my situation, I had to make a decision for me, mm-hmm. for Tom Washington. Now, maybe Tom Washington's decisions may, you know, uh, not work for someone else. But I chose uh, in my study to do almost like a hybrid path. I did the allopathic medicine, um, but I also did a holistic um, treating treatment for me. So it was like one week was their treatment, the second week was my holistic, and it's a, and and the, and it worked for me because I felt uh, encouraged about both paths. But 
you know, somebody that says, hey, I want to just do holistic, which going back to Greg Leakes, <laughs> only because it was it was something that was right in front of me at the time. He chose a holistic path initially. And then um, he decided to go the, the chemo afterwards, you know, and it worked for him. But, um, you know, sometimes we just don't know what our timing is. We don't know how much time our body has to react and respond. Um, for me, uh, the, the choice of the two worked. But to surround you yourself with the people that believe, you know, even friends that I had, um, they know I'm a man of faith. So they know whatever decisions that I make, they, they can stand behind them. But to have that village of people um, that know, and even if you don't have a village of people, you can be your own village mm -hmm. if if need be and what i chose to do i i really didn't have everybody visiting me because this is one of the things i've noticed about when people visit and people when you visit people in the hospital don't fall into some of these categories <laughs> <laughs> one category is the person that's you, they go to the hospital and they're so overwhelmed by your condition you got to comfort them oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling them it's going to be all right that I'm the one laying in the bed. My brother and I shared this in my very first podcast that um, after I had my second knee surgery, he took me to the doctor. And when they started taking them stitches out, he started falling out. So the doctor over here, take care of them. And there's been times our dad's been hospitalized and just right. the smell. Just mm -hmm. the smell itself, the, hot, the smell of the hospital. The He's hospital like, smell. I, I can't. So I tell him all the time, like, don't do it. If you can't, like, ain't nobody got time for you falling out on the floor. No. <laughs> nobody. See, and no. that's the thing. And 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 I knew after some experience in the hospital, I knew I didn't want that. Then there's this person that wants to overanalyze. Well, what the doctor say? 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 Okay, I've told you what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter that they say cancer mm -hmm. because what happens is that they'll be like, well, you know, it don't look good. You know, I'm, it, that kind of thing. I don't want that either. So you're sitting here second guessing what um, I've already decided as my pathway. And you wanted, you don't think that what I'm deciding to do is good enough. You're like, well, what the doctor say? As a matter of fact, I don't want to hear all that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor's already told me what he want to do. And so, so you want to be supportive when you go to hospitals. You want to be uh, whatever that... And what I found this, Renice, there were a couple of people that came to the hospital and said, okay, so you need to hurry up and get up out of here because we got this to do. Um, meaning that give people something to look forward to. It's like, okay, you got to get better because in a couple months we need to go to Paris. You know, I'm just saying. It, 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 knowing that there's something uh, beyond the sickness beyond this journey that you have to look forward to uh, makes a big difference in the state of mind of a person like my sister, um, my, my um, daughter, she, at the time this was a summer and she was going to middle school for the first time. And so I remember my wife saying, Hey, bad daddy, you got to get ready. You got to get better daddy, Cause you got to take Kenny to school. Cause I was always the one ever since she's been, um, in daycare you know she's 13 now but from daycare all the way up to 13 I was the one that took her to school in the morning my wife was always the one that picked her up and so I have always been there the first day of school so here she was starting school at um the end of August and I needed to pick her up I mean to drop her off at school and I was determined that I was going to be there on the first day of school because I always was. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the only time that I would get emotional was when I talk about my daughter and my wife because I know they were going through it at the same time. But I said, I was determined I'm going to take her to school. I'm going to be there. So as I laid in that hospital, that gave me something to look forward to. I said, I got to get better. Mm -hmm. I got to get better enough to get out of this hospital to, to, to be able to be there for her. And I was. <laughs> so you got to give people something to look forward to. It makes a huge difference. And that's where hope comes into, yes. into play. 
And you yeah. can't have faith without hope or hope without faith because no. if you don't have anything to look forward to, mm-hmm. um, I've been told things about different conditions. Um, like after I had was the the after I had about about the third surgery my with my knee, they mm-hmm. they pretty much were like, You don't be on crutches or walker Mm-mm. or something the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. no. In my mind, I'm like, I got, I, I got to run a marathon. I got, I want to do mud run. I want to one day jump out of an airplane. Like all those <laughs> things were in my mind. Like I haven't yeah. even lived yet. So even to this day, I go to the doctor and they keep trying to like, you know, you need to get this revised. You need to do this, and I'm like, no. Mm-mm. Like, it's no guarantee what you're gonna do for me. Yeah, it's gonna help me, and exactly. that's the best decision for for me. For you. To, work with whatever my body got right now mm-hmm. and, and make it work. Yeah. And so like he said, like just having something to look forward to yeah. having a really like a goal in mind, mm-hmm. because once you hear some devastating news, I can't compare a need to cancer or anything like that. But so a lot of people count themselves out. Yeah. You see all the time where someone who was a quadriplegic is able to walk again. Yeah. You know, it took them time, but they they were like, you know, one day I'm going to get up out this bed and I'm going to be able to to do this. Mm -hmm. And my body is going to function again and I'm not going to stay in this wheelchair. I'm not going to stay paralyzed or, you know, those stories happen all the time time. and it begins with the mind. It begins with the mind and you just got to be determined. And if visually that's what I saw, I saw myself at her school. I saw myself healed. I saw myself in the future. And that's what you have to do. And and that's what keeps us fighting, you know, and that's what kept me fighting. And I encourage anybody, don't give up. It sounds so trite. It sounds so simple. It sounds so like, you know, just flipped, like, you know, don't give up. Don't, you know, you hear people say it all the time, but you have to tell yourself it's something that you internalize. I'm not giving up. I am not a victim. I am victorious. You just have to uh, believe that. And that's all. That's where the faith comes in. Like you said, you have to hope and believe that you are going to be on the other side of this thing. So I'm thankful every day that I um, am a survivor. Of course, the doctors, they want to monitor me, you know, and they, you know, they're always, um, I'm going in regularly, like, you know, every uh, month, you know, just to, to check and make sure everything is maintained. And, and that's the other thing. You just got to, you know, Keep checking. It's okay. Don't let fear be a factor. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. People allow fear to overtake them. They don't want to go to the doctor. They may be feeling a certain kind of way, but they're afraid what the doctors say. I'm not afraid of what the doctors told me. I was just determined like, okay, I'm now I'm informed. Mm -hmm. Now I know what to do. Now I know what I'm fighting and, and how I'm going to fight Mm -hmm. this thing, but don't let fear, keep you from getting checkups don't let fear keep you from finding out what that little just that little inkling of pain or whatever it is just find out mm-hmm. go to the doctor you know get a get the diagnosis it's okay because in the end you know you you can fight this thing whatever it is well, I want to thank you so so much for coming on here and just you. sharing your story because my belief is that it's one thing for a doctor to say something to somebody or a friend, but to hear it out of the mouth of someone who's gone through it, yeah. to give them a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of, you know, I can fight this battle too. You can fight it. Exactly. You can fight I it. I always am a big, firm believer in people just coming together and sharing their stories. So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing yours. Thank you for the opportunity. Of so course. much. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the worst for a while, so I'm glad it finally happened. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to people um, really hearing it and um, uh, and letting it transform lives. Well, thank you, Pastor Tom, once again, and thank you guys for just tuning in. And I hope this just touches as many people as it can, and that everyone has gotten something out of this because miracles do happen. Medical they do miracles. Happen. 
happen all the time. All the time. So don't ever let diagnosis, uh, injury, illness, or anything like that count you out. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, I'll see you guys next week, and thank you for tuning in. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been the Patientology Podcast. Please connect with us by subscribing and by following us on Instagram and Facebook. And as you journey throughout this week, remember that you are stronger than you feel.